Hey everyone, this is your host, Gons, and welcome to another episode of Startup Conversations, View from the CTO, a collaboration between Table and CircleCI, where we sit down with some of the greatest CTOs in Europe to deconstruct how to build and operate high-performing technology teams. My guest today is Benjamin Lassan Look. Benjamin is an angel investor and CTO of many successful technology companies, ranging from small-sized startups to enterprises, including names such as Launchmetrics and the nonprofit Vox.org. Now, Benjamin has decided to go the founder route and is starting a new technology company, Leto. His winding path from seed-side startups to enterprise-sized companies has taught Benjamin many, many lessons about building and operating a successful technology team. And it goes without saying that in this conversation, we cover them all. Why CTOs need to do all they can to put their egos aside in order to lead effectively. Why you should give your employees time and space to make mistakes. The importance of building technology solutions the quick and dirty way when you first start your company why the role of the CTO at the large organization is to make it seem feel the customer's pain and what that means, and much, much more. This conversation was eye-opening and a blast to have, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Ben, welcome to the podcast. I've been looking forward to this. How are you doing? Very good, and what about you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's been a great Friday so far. So let's start. Let, like, let's, let's dive right in. What's the two-minute version of, of Ben? And I would also love to know what are you building right now? Okay. So in two minutes, it will be whew, very short. But yeah, I started <laughs> like uh, a lot of CTOs as a, a coder, right? Then very quickly, I founded the first company and then I failed like most of the companies I retried again, and this time I tried to not, you know, redo the, the mistakes. So this second company was called Wisemetrics. We were do, doing prescriptive analytics on social media for brands that I've later sold to uh, a bigger company where um, luckily I, I, mean, I, mean, I made my way and I became uh, after that uh, the CTO of the company who bought me. Um, which is uh, which is quite uh, ironical, right? And finally, I mean, um, you know, during this uh, pandemic, I, I thought a lot about at some point I would do a company and I would do I would do it again. And uh, you know, there's no good or bad moment to start a company. So I said, what about right now? So I'm building now a new company where I try to accelerate the world data privacy. So basically, I'm helping companies to be more compliant um, over the different regulations that protect personal data. And uh, what's the name of the company just for the audience? Yeah, sure. So the name is Leto, L-E-T-O. Very simple. Perfect, perfect. So... What's very interesting about you and, and your career is that you, you you sort of did it. You did everything, right? You're an entrepreneur with failed company, uh, an exit. Uh, you then uh, sort of took on CTO after uh, a couple of years at the company that acquired you. So you sort of essentially went from 
companies with zero revenue to scale ups with sort of dozens of, of millions in revenue, right? So Correct. this sort of yes. breadth of, of, of experience is, is very, very interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you think is the, sort of the role of the CTO as from the early stage all the way to sort of the late, late stage scale ups? How does it evolve over time? Yeah, so it's a very good question because it's actually a question that I got very often when I'm mentoring uh, other startups. And uh, yes, the, the role of the CTO is is definitely completely different from an early stage uh, company compared to a more like mature late stage company. So I would say that at the very, very beginning, when you are starting a new company, uh, you, you know, you do it with your, your, your friends, you are just like maybe two or three, a CTO at the beginning is really the solution guy, right? So you and your friends, you got, you got an idea and, uh, and they want to see it live. You want to try it. You want to experiment it and, and do some user tests. So at, at the very beginning, the CTO is really the guy who brings solution. Like it might be quick and dirty, but whatever, right? What matters at the beginning is to really try it, test your idea and put it on the, the market and see how, how, how customers would react to your product, right? So at the beginning, uh, the CTO might really be a kind of lead developer, maybe. If I would call it this way, in a bigger company, they would call the, this kind of guy a lead developer. Um, but really, really quick, uh, things get serious, right? So you start maybe to raise uh, some money and you are, you, you are getting more and more customers. They are asking you for like an SLA. And at the beginning, you are like, what is an SLA? Uh, should I be like 99.9 or should like 90% is okay? You know? So then since things are already getting very, very serious. So then you need to learn, uh, you know, all the aspects of, yeah, how to provide a very good enterprise software, right? And in parallel, you need to scale your team, right? So you basically need to, hire the first developers and so on. So, and then you become like a hiring manager where, where it's a totally different uh, skill set, right? You need to be, to have very nice soft skills. You need to be super empathic and, and uh, yeah, challenge the candidates and making sure that those guys are like a good fit for the culture of your, the company that you are building at the same time. So, and to finish later on, once you, you spend a lot of time growing your teams and so on. Then you start to spend some time on stuff that you believe at the beginning was not your cup of tea. Stuff like, uh, you know, finance, budgeting, and giving a pitching to investors as well uh, to say that, yes, why my assets are good, how I'm going to uh, scale my team from 50 to uh, hundred, uh, basically they are, they are challenging you. What are you going to do with my money? Right. So I think, yes, at the, at the very end, um, I would say on the late stage company, a CTO is not someone who code anymore. I know it's a big debate, uh, uh right now. There's a lot of CTOs who are like, yes, I'm going to code. Even if my team is like a thousand, uh, guys of developers. Um, but, uh, I think at some point, you don't need to code anymore. Of course, it's super, super important to be 
aware about what is going on into your engineering organization and what kind of potential you know big decision on the architecture are made of but um at some point no it's all about uh, yes um building a nice engineering uh, culture uh, making sure that the guys are higher and can grow into your organization uh, making sure that uh, ev- anybody into your organization got all anything they need like tools budget and on and basically yes i think that's the the really my goal as a cto on a late stage company that that is um fascinating and I want to sort of double click on something, which is sort of that inflection point uh, in which sort of you, you go from like the, the the individual contributor, you optimize for speed, you're the problem solver to the moment that you need to start thinking about building a team, scaling as an organization, building sort of the foundations of the culture. Sort of that inflection point is usually like the sort of hardest one, sort of that, that sort of shift uh, in, in mentality from the dirty coder to just... Uh, sort of a, a leader. Do you have any recommendations for people going through through this sort of transition, through this inflection point? Yes, I remember that uh, inflection point. I remember as well that, you know, I was already owning my code. And I know that back in the time, it was like super hard for the like external people to get into my code. Um, really, at the, at the beginning, it was really hard to, to explain to explain, yes, why I made this kind of choice and, and so on. So I think that uh, here, what I did really was to, you know, put my ego on the side and really said, okay, um, there's a way to document everything. I, I mean, I, I'm just one guy. So uh, it, it's not like super complex to understand what I, what I did. It's just a matter of time. So really at the beginning, giving, giving time, to onboard new developers and somehow to delegate uh, part of the code uh, is really like uh, the first baby step that I that I did. Then slowly and, and slowly, I think that uh, trusting people really uh, was uh, was uh, the, the the difficult you know aspect to go through because. Of course, anyone who is onboarding a, on a new platform, they will they will do mistakes, right? And and that's part of the learning curve, right? It's the way to to learn. So I think that uh, it my best advice for for the people who goes from the the IC uh, path to the more manager path is really like to trust people and giving the time to the the, the, the people to make their mistakes, grow. And at some point to own the platform as you did in the past. Yeah, those are some sort of great, great points. Sort of this idea of like letting uh, go, being sort of low ego. I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned that as the company grows, what you need to do is hire, build a team, make sure your team is empowered, has sort of uh, proper career development paths. So let, let's spend a few minutes on that, right? Because hiring and recruiting talent, especially right now where, where sort of COVID made talent markets global, it's it's a challenge for, for every sort of organization. So do you have any frameworks, strategies, tips, tactics uh, for, for doing that? Or how do you think about uh, hiring and, re- and retaining talent right now? 
Yes, it's a very, very hot topic, especially as you said during COVID. I mean, the, the market, the market of is a world market now, right? I mean, any developers who can speak English, and actually they all do, right? Uh, can apply to any of the companies, whatever it's based in Silicon Valley or in Europe or even Asia or whatever, right? So first of all, I think that before hiring, I would say to make sure that your guy stays, right? <laughs> I think that's the the, the, the first challenge that you, you should that you should not consider it like uh, done. Uh, it's definitely a continuous task to make sure that your guys are, are happy. When I'm saying happy, is really that uh, they find you know purpose on the stuff that they do um, as well that the their package the packaging is like uh, super satisfying for them. And as well, make sure that they, they work with great coworkers and the ambiance is good. So this is super, super key. And finally, it's everything I'm, that I'm saying here. It's part of making them growing right into an organization. Because at some point, like, like me, I, I was an IC. And at some point, I'd like to become a manager. And um, so really giving all the framework, like, for example, a job ladder, um, even if your company is not so big, because you know usually job ladder is like for super big companies, but actually um, giving a job ladder, even if your company is like a, like a small or mid-sized company, it's super important because basically you you draw uh, the path uh, for the future of your different uh, contributors, right? So making them grow and retain your talents, I mean. That's the the top uh, one uh, strategy to adopt. And then, yes, once you are good at that, then you are considering to, okay, what is now my strategy to, to hire the, the, the best talent? So, and actually, yeah. thanks to the fact that you kept the best guys, um, you actually, those guys are the best ambassadors, right? Um, so they are starting to informally discuss with their friends, uh, you know, their former colleagues, this kind of stuff. Or even, you know, there are some guys who are like so passionate that, you know, they go on meetups or they participate on open source and they, you know, they, they contribute into the, the, to the open world that uh, those guys are really the best ambassadors to, to hire new, new, new talents. Uh, that's, that's fascinating. Your, your strategy is, is backwards. Is uh, start with retaining the right talent, a very sort of talented team. Uh, and that sort of, that helps the recruitment, not only because, of course, people stay and it's not a leaky bucket, but also because that team will become ambassadors, right? Is that how you think about that? Yeah, it's how I think about that, right? And uh, at some point as well, those guys are like... Uh, you know, doing so much great stuff for you that you are starting to think that, whoa, that could be a nice, uh, you know, blog article for my engineering blog, right? Or this could be like a, a good stuff that we could share to the next conference or webinar. Or, you know, there, there, there's a bunch of uh, organizations that produce content uh, over there. So, and uh, yeah, it's really like a bottom-up uh, approach. And this is what what works best for me, uh, at least. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Going back to, to career paths, something that's, that's sort of uh, rarely discussed is sort of this idea of 
um, or the situation in which ICs want to have a career path, but they want to remain ICs versus becoming a manager. How, what's, what's your, your take on that? How have you empowered uh, engineers in your team who want to sort of keep growing, but not become people managers? Yeah, this is definitely a hot topic. So the, the first thing that, I, that I'm saying is that the manager role is not the natural evolution of the IC role, right? It's not that because you are a good, uh, like the best individual contributor that you will become the manager. So for me, it's definitely like two different skill sets. So of course, I would say that there's a, like a common trunk, right? Until you you reach uh, like a role like a senior like engineer, for example. At some point, you start thinking about: Do I continue to become an IC, or do do I continue to become to to do I will become a manager, right? And what I'm saying definitely here is that it's just like a, a Y path. So it's not because you are going to left or to the right that uh, you are better than the other branch, right? So, for example, let's say that the, the senior level it's uh, I don't know like level three. There's like a junior manager, which is level four, but there's as well potentially like the lead developer who is the uh, level four and it's the same level, right? And um, what I'm saying to the guys, and that's pretty obvious as well on the job ladder is, is by saying that it's not because you are becoming a manager that you will be better paid, right? And then, you know, the guys are starting to think in, in a different way. And actually what you need into an organization uh, of 10, for example, you don't need like nine managers and one individual contributors, right? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, what you need is like a bunch of very talented and uh, with a lot of skills, uh, individual contributors who can really like push your uh, product uh, forward, right? Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. What I'm sort of curious about is you hire, you retain them, and now you're talking about sort of pushing the, the product forward so what sort of practices principles operating cadences do you use in in sort of your organizations to cre create a sort of a high performing team that pushes the the sort of the product forward so something we were talking about the the CTO role at the beginning and uh, i would say that on the late stage company one of the main mission of the CTO is really to make the organization, your organization, to feel the pain of the customer. So really building a very high performing uh, team is at the beginning, making sure that your guys really understand deeply what they are trying to solve, right? So to make sure that they really understand the, the customer pain. So that's why one of the, the aspects of making a very high performing organization is really making sure that your engineers are super close to the customers. So whatever they did, like a shadowing during an interview, whatever they like went on site or they are as well analyzing the data of uh, the behavior of your customers, I think that this is one of the most important points. And of course, then you need great managers, right? To make sure that your guys, your individual contributors get all they need, like tools, like, uh, yes, as, as I said earlier, like the budget and as well the, the access to the data or any governance uh, issues, you know, it, it, it needs to be solved. Yeah, that, 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 that is um, 
That is fascinating. Um, I, 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 I like to sort of go back, actually not go back, move forward in time a bit. Now, CTO, of, you're the sort of co-founder and CTO of an early uh, stage startup, right? I'm curious, mm-hmm. what are some of the common mistakes that you made before in your transition from founder, IC, to sort of all the way to a CTO that you're trying to avoid right now and that you sort of flag to others who are in a similar stage? Hey, be careful of this. I've done it before. Uh, I messed it up. I'm going to try to do it correctly right now. Yeah. So I would say that uh, the, the, the first stuff that I'm advising to really early stage founders and something that I'm trying to do right now is to really not to rush for the high-paced technologies that can scale, that can, you know, host like for millions of uh, customers. Because basically, you don't have customers right now, right? There's no visitors, nobody. So actually, my best advice is really like, make sure that uh, your solution can really help you to challenge the customers and to iterate easily. So it can be quick and dirty at the beginning. It's totally fine. It's okay. So now, after like spending six years on building enterprise-grade software, now I'm forcing myself, actually, to not do fast, <laughs> right? I'm forcing myself to do quick and dirty. So it feels super weird uh, because uh, it, it's been a while. But uh, now I know that it's the best decision because it allows my team right now with my co-founder to really spend some time on what are really the the, the pains and the problems that we are trying to solve. So it allows ourselves to really spend more time on this instead of spending too much time on the, the solution. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what, what is keeping you up at night over this, let's say, the, the next like 12 months? Um, I, I, I think it's uh, financing, right? Because at some point, I know that I will need to raise some, some money and, uh, and, and you, you never know at what stage you should do that, right? Because if you do it too early, you might like, you know, sell too much of your cap table. Um, if you're doing too late, uh, you know, it's maybe too late and maybe there will be a competition will overpass you, you. And so I, I think that uh, I think that's my, my, my main main challenge in the in the future. What's very interesting about this conversation is that you think of sort of like and I can tell this because of what's keeping you up at night is sort of the future and health of the company per se. So it's interesting that you think of like technology sort of a bit of a means to an end a way to solve a, a, a problem and that's why you right now even sort of over obsessed about new technologies and scaling to millions and futures you think about solving a very specific problem do you, do you think sort of that's the, the 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 right approach to to think of technology as a sort of a means to an end not the end itself yeah well it's it's a really interesting question because this is something that i actually asked myself like yesterday night <laughs> uh, Yeah, great timing indeed. So I was like, I remember that my my first companies, I focused a lot on the technology and almost forgetting at the beginning, the distribution, the marketing and sales, right? And um, definitely I would say as a like more mature entrepreneur now, uh, as a founder, I know that I need to find the, the perfect balance between, you know, um, 
delivering like the technology and uh, uh, solving uh, the, my, my problems and challenges. And yes, uh, making sure that uh, my, my technology is well pitched and making sure that it, it has the right positioning on the market, uh, etc. So, and finding the, the right balance. And of course, this really depends on, on your project, actually, in your market and your technology as well, because there are some technologies do, that are more like deep tech, if I would, uh, would say, uh, that requires like a lot of, you know, in, investment in R&D before. But uh, there's other that is like lower. So you know that uh, there's a balance to find between, uh, between the, the two, I would say, aspects of uh, an early stage startup. Yeah, that, that, that is um, fascinating. And I'm going to sort of go back to sort of larger scale. <laughs> and, and, and sorry for just going back and forth between startups, no larger companies, but it's like you, your background is sort of just fascinating. And I want to sort of double click on, on a million different topics. But something I'm, I'm, I'm interested in is sort of like software teams, uh, like performance. Uh, as you start, like you're a tiny sort of group, so you just get a pulse of how everything is going. But as you grow, how do you think about measuring your software team's like performance? Is that something you, you do, or? Yeah, I, I, it was a, it was a very big question when I was um, leading larger organization because there's a lot of metrics that you can watch, right? I would. I would start from the the lower level, right? There, you got your infrastructure. You need to make sure that the response time is is great. You may you need to make sure that you know all your load balancers are optimized. You got enough servers and so on, and you anticipate your workload. Then, on a higher level, you need to make sure that your your application is can be iteratively. Uh, upgraded with new features so you need to you know put like uh, making sure that your agile organization is working very well right so from from coding to deploying uh, onto your like your staging environment and making sure that your integration from end to end is actually working right so and this is yes this is very very challenging because I, I, I got the, the, very often this, uh, this story, you know, that, uh, yes, it works on my computer, right? At some point, you, it's not your computer that matters. You, it needs to work on production at the, at, the, at the end of the day, right? So I, I know that uh, one of my main challenges back in the time was making sure that the integration works from the, from the end to end, right? And once that everything uh, is delivered onto the staging, you need to make sure that you know your QA team got uh, everything to test everything and uh, and uh, and yeah and push into production and of course then the world stuff comes with the velocity of your teams right so uh, monitoring velocity is very something that is subjective and very hard to to monitor because in the past i had like eight or nine squads and um, so they are all independent teams working on their uh, scope. And uh, definitely it was very complex to find like a metric that could work for everyone, right? For each team, because they are not working on the same, you know, scope. It's not the same complexity. It's made, there's some stuff that is more front-end, other stuff that is more back-end. There's some team working on data, other team working on on more like with more stakeholders, with more humans. 
So velocity was definitely a, a challenge. So in the end, the, the conclusion is that there's something that is really uh, comparable that you can really do some benchmark is basically measuring your velocity compared to the past performances, right? For one same team. And I think that uh, this is the best KPI that uh, we end up uh, with my different teams to really making sure that the, 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 the team is really delivering what uh, the product team asked for. Totally. Sort of this idea of sort of being better than you were yesterday. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. Um, how, how do you think about sort of quantifying the impact of software like engineering teams? But not a sort of between the technical organization, but rather sort of at a company level. Do you think about sort of metrics like, hey, profit margin, ROI, uh, stakeholder returns? Is that something that you think should occupy a sort of a CTO's mind? It's something that uh, I had in mind, um, but it's very, very complex to, you know, to challenge uh, yourself around this kind of KPI that are really more, I would say, more finance KPIs, but I know it's definitely uh, super mandatory to go through. So actually what I, what I was doing, it's very simple, looking around on the web for bench, benchmarking data, because it's, it's kind of very common that uh, large tech companies, uh, they are spending around like 30% of their revenue into R&D, right? So of course, I'm looking at the, the cost like uh, like this to compare it with the revenue but uh, at the this is very macro uh, metric but at the end of the day uh, in terms of micro piloting i'm i think it's really hard to you know when you are working on a project to really to really see what impact it will have on the finance and, because you know sometimes uh, what you are doing got a huge benefit for the customers but maybe the next time you you won't release anything for your customers but it will improve like maybe the internal efficiencies of your sales teams or your customer success and it, of course you know that it will improve the 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 performance of the company but uh, it's really hard to 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 quantify um, that's why I think that the best way to to do it is really to be agile, right? So by being agile, you know that uh, every at every iteration, you are solving something critical for your company. And you know that you are producing value. It's I know it's hard to quantify, but you are producing value. The sort of internal tension of the sort of the short-term requirements of like a company of a startup of, of revenue of growing and then the sort of longer term things like uh, making sure that uh, you're, you're thinking about the right technologies and innovation and managing tech debt. How, how do you balance those two things that are usually conflicting? I think it's not a new question of tech in any decision making that you have to do. There's also well, also well like pros and cons for the short term solutions and pros and cons for the longer term solution. So, and one of the biggest and main challenges that any tech organization have is really about the technical debt, right? But for me now, I wouldn't call it technical debt because actually if you go for, let's say like, for the short-term solution on purpose, you, you know why you do it. For example, the context might be, um, okay, I'm testing something new. 
uh, that we don't know if there will be any customers. Uh, so we need to try it out, right? So it doesn't make any sense to start like building the world factory and making sure that it will work in 10 years, right? Um, you're making the, the, the decision to, to, to go for like a lower scale, for example, solution. As you did it on purpose, it's totally okay. And once, once you grow, let's say that there's the traction over your this part of the product, okay, then you reinvest I don't know, like one month or two to make sure that your solution will grow and will be suitable for, for the long term. Yeah, but, and this goes back to, to this idea of, and maybe you're responding to your question, which you asked sort of yourself last night of technology <laughs> as a means to, to an end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so what writer or book has had like the greatest influence on, on your career and, and why? Ooh, so I'm reading a lot of books. I don't know if you expect a tech book, but actually um, the, the, the book I... that really did a huge impact on my career was Radical Candor by Kim Scott. It's really a book about, yes, uh, how you manage ICs, how you coach them to grow and, uh, and uh, what is the manager path and so on. So it's really, a, for me, the best management book uh, that I uh, found recently so far. Interesting. Interesting. That is uh, a frequent answer when I ask people what are the most sort of impactful uh, books, right? So uh, it's absolutely a, a fascinating uh, read. Um, I think that is like the perfect way to end this. Uh, we just jumped for the past 40 minutes Uh, I really, really appreciate your time, Ben. It was uh, fascinating to talk about sort of this breadth of experience from IC all the way to CTO of large company. So appreciate your time. Thank you, Gons. Hey, this is Gons again. If you enjoyed this episode of Startup Conversations, please let us know by leaving an honest review. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this one, or find out more about the collaboration between Seedtable and CircleCI, visit seedtable.com forward slash conversations. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Ciao.